Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Topher, Principal Architect of Topher Architecture, and you are listening to New Books Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network dedicated to architecture and its publications. If you have any suggestions on authors who you'd like to hear me speak with next, feel free to send me an email at btofer at topherarchitecture.com. Today's guests are Sebastian Lowson, Raish Heinix, and Hilda Hainan to talk about their book, The Figure of Knowledge, Conditional Architectural Theory. Sebastian is a postdoctoral researcher at the KTH Stockholm. Raish is an intellectual historian at the KU Leuven Faculty of Architecture. And Hilda is the professor of architectural theory at the KU Leuven Department of Architecture. So thank you all very much for being here with me today, and welcome to the show. Great that you have us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. So before we begin, uh, I I just summarized each of you with a sentence. Could you maybe tell the audience a little bit more about yourselves? Absolutely. Um, thanks a lot for, for having us on your show. Um, so I'm Sebastian. I come from the, a small town in the northeast of Belgium. And uh, I moved to Leuven, where I was trained as an architect, which is a city a bit uh, east of Brussels. Uh, and after my studies in architecture, I became interested in the societal and political aspects of architecture. Uh, I studied uh, philosophy as well. And uh, from that, I, I led into uh, a PhD research which de- dealt with the uh, history of architectural theory and which uh, involved Hilde and Reich. So maybe they should introduce themselves now. You go first. Okay, thank you. So, uh, thank you, Brian, for having us in this show. Um, so, I'm Raish Hennings. Um, I'm also come from the northeastern part of Belgium. So, to some extent, we all came from the same region. Uh, I studied in Leuve history, cultural history, and history of ideas. Um, after my studies in history, I studied one year at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where I specialized more in history of ideas and cultural history. And when I came back, I did a postgraduate or master after master uh, in architectural sciences, so uh, training in architectural theory with Hilde at that time at the Faculty of Engineering at the KU Leuven. And after that, uh, I started to work at the Department of History at the KU Leuven where I prepared or was working on a PhD project um, about the, the relation between religion and modernist art and architecture in the interwar period. Uh, and moving on into a postdoc and later on teaching at the Faculty of Architecture, uh, I still am working in that field of the history of ideas uh, in the field of architectural theory and aesthetics. Great, thank you. So, and I am Hilde Heinen. I'm the most uh, senior of uh, the three of us. Uh, I am um, also uh, a product of uh, the University of Leuven. Uh, I studied uh, engineering architecture there and philosophy as well, continuing to do my PhD. Um, and in my uh, postdoc years, I uh, was uh, uh, visiting. Um, uh, assistant professor in uh, at MIT, um, and uh, afterwards um, I have also been a Getty postdoctoral fellow um, and worked on a book uh, that came out in 1999, uh, Architecture and Modernity: A Critique, that was with MIT Press, 
uh, and then I uh, have uh, started teaching in um, in Leuven, um, my alma mater also, and I worked on several other things. Uh, my most uh, recent book, apart from the one that we discuss here, my, but my most recent authored book was uh, uh, an intellectual biography of Sibyl Mohori Notch that came out in 2019. So, and uh, now, uh, yeah, well, I'm also very proud of the book that we are discussing today, The Figure of Knowledge, Conditioning Architectural Theory. Uh, great. Thank you all very much for that. And so... It before we begin, at, to the audience, you know, there's so much in this that uh, we might have to skimp a few chapters. I will recommend picking it up. But so to start us off, you know, right in the introduction, you identified the specific year, 1968, as a very important year. And so, of course, I have it written down why, but I was wondering if you could elaborate on why that year is important and kind of what the overall, not, not to summarize such an amount of content, but what are, what are we trying to discuss with the book we're about to talk about? Yes, who of us? It will be difficult uh, to each time de decide who of us is going to answer yes, that, I... <laughs> uh, the questions first. Uh, well, I think that 1968 is an uh, important uh, moment uh, because uh, in architectural theory and, and uh, among several disciplines, uh, because it's marked by the student movements, uh, both in uh, the United States and in, uh, uh, in, in Europe, and it's it's a kind of moment that uh, that is marked by this uh, activist uh, movements that uh, also politicize uh, a lot of um, uh, knowledge and uh, a lot of thinking. Uh, and in architectural theory, I, I think this marked um, the, the the moment, uh, or this year uh, marked the moment that you have a kind of shift. Uh, architectural theory um, uh, was not explicitly known as such in the years leading up to 1968, uh, but was more a field that uh, was um, uh, populated by practicing architects who also wrote books or articles or gave lectures. Um, and then uh, gradually uh, you have this... Uh, emergence of, let's say, architectural intellectuals who are devoted more or less full-time to, uh, to writing about architecture. Uh, and of course, it's not one moment in time that is uh, absolutely a uh, kind of uh, watershed, but it's more a gradual transition. And I think um, in, uh, in our field, it's recognized that, for example, um, the, the two books of, on the one hand, uh, John Ockman, and on the other hand, Michael Hayes, that are um, uh, mapping the field, uh, they, uh, they make this uh, watershed mark in 1968. So John Ockman's book was about architectural culture, 1945 to 68. And then uh, the next uh, book was the one um, of uh, edited by Michael Hayes. I forgot the exact title, but that was an anthology of architectural theory texts um, uh, from the 1968 onwards. And they are two markedly different books. Um, and uh, that is why in the field that, uh, that year is adopted as very significant. And, uh... Great, thank you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Maybe to pick in uh, on that, Hilden, the, the two books that you mentioned of uh, John Ockman and Michael Hayes, um, because they actually relate to the current book that, that we made. Um, those two books of John Ockman and Michael Hayes, uh, they signal a kind of first moment when uh, architectural theory was not only uh, a moment, and an, an activity in the present, but that it was also something that could be historicized, something to be looked back upon. And uh, they were both published in the 1990s. And in general, this is a bit um, considered to be a moment in the late 90s, mid 90s, uh, when the field of architectural theory became historicized. And actually, um, our book is a kind of further reflection on this process of historicizing architectural theory and trying to look at what, in what ways were, was architectural theory, um, how did it figure in these kind of books, uh, which texts were selected, which uh, kind of unspoken rules of engagement uh, play the role uh, in this process of uh, writing the history of theory. So that's maybe a, a good way of positioning where, where this book stands versus those two books that you mentioned. Thank you. And before, before we started talking offline, I'll say, you had mentioned that this book is actually the fruit of a convention you held in 2017. And I, I, th I thought that was very interesting. I was wondering if you could kind of let us in on that. Okay, yes, it even goes deeper in a sort of the, the, the context from which it arises, uh, this book. Uh, goes back to a project um, which was formulated, I think, eight years ago uh, by Hilde, uh, myself and Yves Scholians, uh, to write a history of architectural theory of the post-war world, especially in Belgium, because that was a sort of... Um, place where a lot of influences came together and was a case study to, to look into that. And Sebastian was at that moment hired uh, after a while to work on this project and he came up together with other person uh, working on the project, Elke Couchet, which should also be mentioned, with this uh, very ambitious idea uh, to bring the world to Brussels and to turn the project, which was intentionally or originally intended to just cover the the, the, the Belgian or Flemish context even uh, to turn it in, into an international event and uh, we took up this initiative um, and Sebastian and Elke together with all the other people involved in the project uh, started to to draft uh, call for papers and this call for papers brought an enormous uh, amount of uh, information uh, to us. And right from the beginning that we were confronted with the first series of abstracts, it became already clear that uh, there was, within the field of the history of architectural theory or in the field of history and theory, there was a deep need to bring together uh, people reflecting on one and the same topic, how architectural knowledge was launched, modified, and attacked, and also forged uh, in the post-war world. Um, I think that was quite at the beginning, even when we only saw the abstracts, that a couple of topics were uh, popping up all the time, and that we saw that something after this important moment of 68 and uh, the early 90s, that indeed uh, a sort of new moment of reflection was needed. 
Uh, th very interesting. And so thank you for sharing that with us. And so as I said, you know, we'll, we'll try to get to as many chapters as we can. However, uh, everyone has sort of hinted at a few things that I think were summarized very nice in kind of the last chapter, well, the coda. And so we're going to kind of skip to the end, I think. So if you could maybe, I guess I don't want to use the word summarize. If you know, I, To me, the coda, I thought, brought together a lot of ideas very nicely. And so if you could kind of give us a quick explanation of that for those listening. Um, yes, what I try to do in, in the coda is indeed weaving a couple of threads together. And uh, uh, my uh, point um, is there uh, that I try to um, figure out what are uh, the main um, questions uh, that play a role or the main issues and the, and the motives that play a role in uh, the evolution of architectural theory. And so it seems to me that um, one uh, an important um, uh, thing is uh, to determine what people that people have been thinking about is to determine what what kind of knowledge architectural theory encompasses. And I think in the, in the period under discussion, 60s to uh, early 90s, you see that uh, uh, people try to to develop this. Uh, uh, this architectural theory into a field that um, that might resemble I call them pilot uh, disciplines uh, like for example philosophy. Uh, so it uh, philosophy was seen as as very um, important uh, in in uh, informer of architectural theory and uh, for example the whole fascination with semiotics clearly um, was also in uh, inspired. Uh, by what at that moment was the dominant um, or one of the main paradigms in, in philosophy, namely post-structuralism and, and semiotics. Um, there is also, uh, and that's a second um, pilot's uh, discipline if you want, um, there is also this attempt to make architectural theory more, let's say, uh, into a scholarly field that could, could also be recognized academically. So that is then uh, uh, the attempt to bring architectural theory up to the level or uh, make it a par with uh, the, the humanities in general. Uh, so that's the, the, the second um, uh, kind of knowledge that is uh, uh, strived for. But then thirdly, there is this, um, uh, this tradition that architectural theory and architectural criticism uh, are very much uh, intertwined and tangled, and that art criticism is also an important uh, point of reference. So we also collect in the book a few discussions of, um, for example, uh, Laura Vinca Massini, uh, uh, the figure of the uh, Italian critic, um, who played a, a very important role in Italy, but is barely known outside of Italy. But her uh, persona is more that of the art and architectural critic rather than the theorist like we know them from, uh, from let's say, the North America or the East Coast um, uh, famous figures. Um, uh, in that same vein, I, I am discussing in, uh, in, in the coda how also the understanding of theory can differ between, on the one hand, theory with a capital T versus, on the other hand, theories. Um, 
Right. So, uh, and in that respect, it's it's. I guess one point I'd like to make. You had you Allen about into... uh, programming in the 1960s. Are you able to still hear me? He claims, and that's an interesting uh, thing in the book, I think, in which he claims, yeah, the the people who were doing this. Uh, programming that were more seen as computer nerds and uh, maybe not as these kind of hybrid intellectuals that were discussing semiotics and post-structuralist, but in fact they were in a certain sense also um, informed by a, a certain understanding of theory. So this is a, a very different take on what theory might be, but it's it's a, a very interesting to see and to indeed uh, see him make the point, and I corroborate the point, that theory is not only uh, productive on the level of uh, explicit discourse, but that in many other um, uh, re, um, let's say areas of arch architecture, like for example architectural practice, but also architectural education, studio education, that theory is active there and instrumental there in a more implicit way. And that's the point made by uh, Matthew Allen that I uh, indeed um, subscribe to. So four different types of, of knowledge, kinds of knowledge, uh, philosophy, humanities, um, Art criticism and then uh, these uh, the difference between uh, the capital T theory versus uh, uh, the theories. And then lastly, I also, in the second part of the coda, I also question um, uh, what is at stake in architectural theory? Because in the introduction, and Rayesh can maybe say a bit more uh, about that in the uh, in a minute. In the introduction, we compare uh, the field of architectural theory to a kind of chess board, uh, asking who is uh, putting moves on the chess board and who is determining according to which rules uh, you play the game of architectural theory. Uh, and then in the coda, I am asking, okay, if this is in some sense, uh, senses of the word uh, um, playing a field, then what is at stake in that field? And I, uh, I distinguish uh, between two main um, uh, themes for saying what is at stake. That is, on the one hand, uh, the discussion that is still ongoing, maybe in the, in, under different um, uh, terms, but still uh, uh, the discussion autonomy of architecture versus heteronomy of architecture. Is architecture a field that develops on its in its own terms and according to its own logic, or are there uh, a lot of um, out external forces that uh, somehow uh, determine what is happening in, in the field of architecture. So autonomy versus heteronomy is a, a very important um, issue in the period under discussion, but it remains that way, I think. Uh, and then secondly, there are all these ideological uh, battles ongoing, which, for example, for me, the, the, the uh, feminist perspective has been very important uh, and uh, th that also was a very important um, uh, impetus in architectural theory in the 1980s, resulting in a lot of pub publications, seminal publications, I would say, in the 1990s. And somehow this kind of feminist critique 
then disappeared or was um, overwritten, overruled by other types of historiography. Uh, so that's also thematized in uh, the chapters of um, Karen Burns and uh, Sandra K. G. O'Grady, and I'm referring to them in, in the coda. And lastly, I uh, my last uh, part in that coda is about positionality and uh, the reflection on how, in fact, you need to have a good university position secured in order to play the game of architectural theory that in a lot of countries there are no people who have the kind of luxury of an academic position that expects you, that requires from you to spend your time in uh, writing uh, these uh, uh, very uh, difficult uh, intellectual texts. Uh, so that means that, in fact, the uh, the game of architectural theory is played mostly in Europe um, uh, and in North America, of course, also in Australia, uh, and uh, far less elsewhere in the world for this kind of reason, that the universities do not um, uh, engage people uh, in this type of positions. Uh, well, let's make an exception for, for example, Singapore, that is uh, right now a very interesting center of architectural theory, I think. Uh, but, uh, but in general, it's a reflection on uh, this kind of external yeah, uh, parameters that condition uh, the formation of architectural theory. Uh, that's what this coda tries to do, to map the field in a certain way, not only indicating what are the themes and the battles that uh, in architectural theory play out, but also indicating uh, what, what are these external parameters that also influence, influence, maybe not determine, but influence at least, uh, that bear upon uh, the rules of the game and how it can be played. <clears throat> Uh, if I might tap into that, the rules of the game, that was something what was often lingering in our mind when we tried to make sense of all those uh, new types of research emerging uh, or people working on uh, architectural theory when we organized the conference. And uh, when we decided to make a book out of the contributions to the conference or selected corpus of contributions, uh, the the idea of what were the rules of the game of the post in the post-war world uh, came to our mind, and uh, it's a quite popular metaphor in historiography to to start to talk about a chess game uh, where you have specific uh, game rules and where you have people who take up positions and attack other people and are developing a strategy or are deploying tactics, etc. That's a very popular metaphor. But when working on the composition of, of this book, uh, we soon had to recognize that, 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 that just uh, framing it within this kind of set of rules was insufficient uh, in the sense that we also wanted to know how the set of rules came into being, how uh, this canon of architectural theory was formatted and, and launched and modified all the time. So just sticking to this, this this single metaphor of it's a chess play, it's, it's a matter of strategy, it didn't work out. And so we had to, to, to come up with a sort of new type of radar, 
historiographical radar to pick up elements, as uh, Hilde also mentioned, which were often not noticed uh, at the moment that the field was developing itself into an established field. And one of the things which is mentioned in the introduction is that uh, we we start with an anecdote of a sort of anecdote that when a couple of years ago, uh, the renowned uh, scholar Anthony Fittler started to think about what happened in the, uh, in the post-war world, especially when he was working on his book, Histories of the Immediate Present, which was a sort of, uh, his fact, his PhD, uh, covering what, what happened uh, in this post-war world. He started with a series of articles on it and he tried to to map everything and week oh, month after the month it was a sort of uh, feuilleton you could say he had to uh, face the fact that it was very hard to get into this matter because week after week new topics emerged and other uh, alleys uh, or side alleys of the, the known history uh, popped up and it's it's exactly this point uh, were what can be seen as the, the fact that, that, that just working with a metaphor, it's a set of rules, uh, doesn't work. And uh, therefore, the, the introduction is for mostly based on the idea that uh, you should also think about uh, the missed opportunities, the, the forgotten figures, the forgotten people, those who were only small blips on the radar uh, at that moment, but at the end became maybe obscured through history, but were very formative for this field. And the introduction is therefore an attempt and a sort of exercise in enlarging this metaphor of the chess play. Uh, and there are two ingredients, if I may develop them. I think the first ingredient, a very important one, is that uh, we are using the, the, the ideas of uh, a very remarkable scholar, Svetlana Boym, who once argue, argued in a, in a book, a tiny book written by her, uh, of modern, that indeed you should sometimes uh, also realize that the chessboard, that there is a world uh, in which this chessboard, uh, chessboard is, uh, is a chessboard and that you can uh, push uh, some elements of the chessboard and that sometimes it's also uh, important to break the rules and to go into those side alleys of history. That's the first important thing uh, and which helped to, to criticize this, this very dominant uh, chess metaphor. And a second element which is also developed in the introduction is that architectural theory was not just a matter uh, of um, text it was also a lifestyle. It was also uh, a broader cultural pattern. And there we are uh, leaning on the ideas of, of a cultural historian, a German cultural historian called Philipp Felsch, who demonstrated that the, most of the theory, which became popular in the 90s, when you have this, this canonical moment that theory was put into big readers, etc., this type of difficult theory circulated in the 60s, uh, around 68, with the student movement, circulated in pockets in, 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 in uh, very strange, small periodicals uh, at that time. And they were part of a sort of, uh, it has already been mentioned, activist culture in which they were used and even 
to some extent mobilized as a sort of uh, Bible. Um, so theory as a lifestyle and theory as a, as a, as a map with side alleys, those are two important ideas in introduction which uh, are developed in order to, to, to get out of this chess play because we, uh, the fact that theory became canonized in the early 90s uh, also generated a sort of, of, created a sort of prison in which a lot of uh, insights or a lot of people working in the field of architecture theory became locked up in. Yeah? It's, it's just that reader, those texts. But there's a whole world besides the text. So the tech, the, the, the reader is to some extent maybe the chessboard and we are all following the rules, but maybe there's something besides or next to this chessboard that was important and that was one of the things we tried to do in the introduction very good explanation and uh, there's two things i just wanted to point out you hit you hit on it very well there's a quote i do like that and I, i'm gonna i don't have the exact but you mentioned the idea that sadly most people and literature focuses on a few famous names and a lot of really big obvious movements you know anyone who's been in architecture school for just a semester has the same 10 or 20 architects memorized that everyone does, when in reality it's taken more than 10 famous architects to develop this field. So I think you hit on that point very well. And it's... Um, okay. Um, I just wanted to say something about uh, about Robin Boyd, so, so I'll, I'll repeat that. Um, where did we end off? Uh, uh, I think a nice example of the of the, the themes that uh, both Hilde and Reis were talking about, Reis in terms of the kind of framework that we use to, to delve into uh, the history of architectural theory and also in the, the kind of hidden alleyways, etc. Uh, and um, what Hilde said about positionality, about um, speaking, uh, paying attention to the place from where you are speaking. A nice example of that is a chapter by Philip Goat on uh, on Robin Boyd, who was a, an Australian uh, architect and critic. And remarkably, he was very well respected at the time. He was really uh, probably because he, English was his, his mother tongue. He was very attuned to both uh, the discussions that were going on in the UK and in the and in the US. And uh, he, a lot of things that he said were, were very valued, and a lot of um, Things he'd written were considered to be uh, very major publications at the time. Some of them even formulating in a very embryonic ways ideas that later Robert Venturi would, would talk about, for instance. Uh, but strangely enough, in in, uh, in the historical accounts of architectural theory, he sometimes seems seems to be forgotten. Uh, you you very rarely hear about uh, Robin Boyd, and that's why uh, Philip Goat, the author of this particular chapter. Calls him a voice from the margins, and he argues that somehow his him being an Australian that that played a role that uh, that he wasn't picked up by historic historiography because he fell somewhere in between the, the two discourses of the UK and the US, and also because he didn't really uh, pledge to a, a particular uh, intellectual or aesthetic tradition, so he didn't really fill up a big box or a category category um, uh, for, for architectural historians. Uh, and th this is one of these examples, I think, that were um, very valuable to, to look in these kind of hidden, uh, not only to look into the kind of hidden side alleys of, of history, but also how these side alleys are, are being constructed through the process of writing history. 
Uh, yes, and if I if I can take up the threat again, um, uh, in terms of positionality, um, uh, the the uh, the conference uh, that we organized in 2017, which was called Theories History 1960s 1990s Challenges in the Historiography of Architectural Knowledge. Uh, that conference, um, as mentioned already, uh, really was um, a lot of people uh, answered our call. Um, and uh, Sebastian and I have also made uh, another selection of papers uh, from this conference uh, that all deal uh, with uh, Marxism uh, and uh, Marxism, let's say, on the other side of the Iron Curtain, let's say. Uh, Marxism and architectural theory on the other side of the of, of the Iron Curtain, because of course we tend to think of architectural theory, and this book kind of confirms it. Although it's uh, it's a side effect of uh, uh, the circumstance that we published these particular papers elsewhere, uh, but we tend to assume that, our, like I said, architectural theory is uh, something that belongs to Europe, North America, and Australia. But in fact, of course, there were also massive volumes uh, and, and books and articles written in, uh, in, in Moscow, in East Germany, in, in China. Uh, there was a whole uh, thing uh, going on in, in Algeria, in uh, African countries that uh, were uh, embracing uh, some kind of uh, Marxist um, revolutionary praxis. Um, and uh, the, the the papers that uh, that were uh, presented at our conference that uh, dealt with these uh, countries and uh, these positions uh, we have brought together in a team issue of architectural histories, uh, which in itself I think is does not more than just um, a bit scratching the surface and setting out the current the current. Uh, um, knowledge of uh, these uh, uh, these Marxist theories that that appeared in Chinese and in Russian and and in languages that are not easily accessible to us, uh, but uh, I think it's absolutely necessary, and we are making the first steps in that direction by doing this kind of thing uh, to. Um, to engage with also these transformations of architectural theory as they happened uh, in the uh, communist bloc uh, in, in the same period. Uh, there were also here and there uh, interesting links, for example, uh, Aldo Rossi and Hans Schmidt uh, in, uh, in East Berlin, they had very good working relationships. Um, which you might not really uh, expect, but uh, that was the case. Uh, so also these um, uh, this kind of interconnections uh, have been uh, brought to the fore during our conference. But given uh, the way we organized uh, our uh, three outputs, uh, this book, uh, the book Routes of Knowledge, and then uh, the team issue of architectural histories, um, part of the conversation is kind of is to be found elsewhere, which is a bit of pity. But of course, uh, it was so rich uh, indeed this conference that there was um, more than enough material to to produce uh, three interesting uh, collections. Uh, very interesting, and it actually will kind of tie into my next question. So, as I've mentioned, there's so much in here, and you that was a great thread. Everyone went off and. <laughs> To anyone to picks up the book, each one of those 
small bullet points, has its own chapter, semiotics, rebirth of theory, all that. One thing I'm curious about with is, you know, you, you already kind of hinted at future projects, but, you know, since the book has come out, what have you uh, worked on since then? Um, well, recently uh, I've moved, uh, uh, even despite the pandemic, actually, I've moved to uh, the beautiful city of Stockholm, and I started a new research project here at uh, the Royal Institute of Technology of Stockholm. Um, and, and this is actually, it will take up most of, of my work in the coming years. It's still in a very early process. Um, but the project is about uh, the role that architectural schools played uh, in history, the role that they played in the context of development aid. Uh, a lot of architectural schools in uh, what you can call the global north, uh, so meaning Europe, the US, uh, and Europe, not only Western Europe, but also Eastern Europe, um, they all play uh, a role. In, in the context of development aid and architecture, uh, definitely played a role in that by offering um, training programs, uh, by offering, uh, by developing research programs, etc. This is something um, which is fairly recent. It's mainly um, it, it really started to to build up in the 1960s, um, and it's now starting um, to become a, something to write a history uh, of these kind of uh, involvements of intersections between architecture and uh, the context of uh, development aid. So that's what I'm currently working on, and uh, that will take up a lot of time for the, the next couple of years. Yes, and uh, I am um, I am doing um, uh, or part of uh, another book project uh, that also came out of another conference, uh, a conference of uh, domesticity and displacement. Uh, there, um, my partners in crime are uh, Lucy Bakemans, uh, Ashika Singh, and Alessandra Gola. Uh, and uh, so this was a, a conference to, that we organized uh, two years ago, and uh, where um, we, we assembled a lot of, uh, of papers uh, that, are, um, uh, that are dealing with um, architecture uh, and, and uh, the, the homing processes in contexts of uh, migration, uh, displacement, uh, refugees, um, uh, this kind of uh, situations of, of, of uh, emergency often uh, and instable uh, situations and how do people make homes in, in such uh, conditions and uh, what about the materiality of these homes and how can an architectural perspective help um, in an interdisciplinary uh, conversation that tries to make sense of uh, these conditions of displacement, um, homelessness, or at least uh, not uh, fully uh, residing at home for uh, the people concerned. Uh, so that's that's what we are currently working on. It will also be a book that is uh, published by uh, Leuven University Press. It will also be open access. I think that's also an important thing that we should mention that our uh, our publisher um, uh, manages uh, to uh, to bring out these books in uh, as open access books. Only if you want uh, a printed volume, you need to pay um, uh, some something. Uh, but otherwise, you can uh, download it uh, for free from uh, from the Leuven University. Great, Press. thank. We'll we'll make sure to include that in the description. Also, sounds very interesting. We'll have to have you back on when you finish that. Yep, I count on it. <laughs> okay, 
So uh, maybe I can also describe what I will do in uh, the following uh, pe period of time. Uh, in the sense that I'm in, in the, the, I'm fully looking forward to the next semester when I can enjoy a sabbatical and to work on a book project, which is already for a very long time in my mind and changed all the time. But uh, the core of it is that it will be a monography on, on and the working title is Intellectual Hinterlands of 20th Century Modern Architecture, which I will try to fill in a lacuna between what you could call traditional architectural history on the one hand and intellectual or conceptual studies on the other. What I want to do in that book is by um, delving into a couple of forgotten figures again and try to recreate uh, the intellectual record uh, of those people and to, to, to look into uh, a forgotten uh, diversity in, uh, of ITs. And more specifically, um, I will look into how, for example, and that goes back to my PhD of has... Uh, is linked with, with what I did then, uh, with, with how religion was a very important uh, issue within modernist architecture and modern architecture, but it's often sanitized from history, it's forgotten, it's, it's not mentioned in, in the studies, but a lot of people were heavily influenced by it, and especially by uh, a lot of philosophical concepts stemming from a specific tradition called Neo-Thomism. Another way I want to uncover or unpack uh, uh, forgotten hinterland is by looking back into the history of empathy in modern architecture because also there you have a lot of uh, developments which have not been recognized yet and finally i will look into the the notion of time uh, the cartography of time by looking at people who were composing world histories and trying to find out how they could uh, establish a sort of philosophical framework to discuss historical laws. Uh, just to put it very briefly, it's about yeah how um, that how 20th century modern architecture was not only linked to uh, reason, order, functionality, but was also supported, uh, facilitated, and even enabled uh, with references to less known scientific, historical, spiritual discourses. And that's the book project, three chapters, three big chapters I want to work on during the following wow, year. Very interesting. I'll have to talk to you again for all them as well. Well, so I want to thank the three of you for taking time to talk to us again. So for those listening, the book is The Figure of Knowledge, Conditioning Architectural Theory. And thank you all so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you on. very much for having us. It was a pleasure. And can't wait to talk to everyone again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian.